I'd rather, I'd rather, I do want to say, I'd rather have them have too many options than too few though. So like per personally, I never felt good about the, the restriction to, to four spells, like for Pokemon. I mean, I totally got it and I loved playing Pokemon, like especially the first and second gen games. But um, yeah, at some point it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, with my Blastoise, I'm going to keep like the two best water spells and then which TMs totally break the game in terms of like addressing my weaknesses. Can, and you're telling me Mewtwo can't remember more than four things. Come right, on. Right. Come on. <laughs> Welcome to pick up your sticks where we talk about why gaming matters with your host, Walker near and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker. And this week we are joined by Chris Mango, who is developing Mango mischief, which is a retro 16 bit JRPG that also satirizes some of the overused tropes of the genre. If you'd like to support Pick Up Your Sticks, you can always buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash pod. As always, I'm joined by my esteemed and wonderful colleague, Brett Lindley. Ooh, How are you doing, two, Brett? Two, esteemed and wonderful. I'm right. moving up. I'm feeling wonderful today for sure. Esteemed. I'm, I feel esteemed now. So sure. thank you. <laughs> well, that's what I do for people. Um, and then also, as we said in the intro, really excited to have our guest, Chris Mango here, uh, maker of Mango Mischief. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. Thanks for having me. And I will uh, try my best to at least be wonderful. I'm not sure how esteemed <laughs> I am, but we'll, 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 we'll shoot for wonderful. You will be yeah. esteemed after this. We're, right. We'll work yeah. on you. We got you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You come in one way, you leave another. Um, right. So obviously we're going to talk to you all about you and, and your journey and all this and making the game. But but just to start, uh, for people who maybe aren't familiar, what is Mango Mischief? Let's just start there. Uh, sure. So uh, Mango Mischief is a, it's a JRPG that I've been working on for the past year and a half-ish ever since, I guess really since coronavirus forced me to stay home from my job. So around like mid-March kind of gave me some, uh, some spare time to actually work on this game. Uh, the premise is that it's supposed to be not just an RPG game, but kind of a satire on the the cliches and tropes and, and kind of uh, taking a comedic take to kind of the things we take for granted as, as video gamers as a whole, and especially as RPG players. And I do that through uh, this old school retro 16-bit kind of setup, kind of like the old school Final Fantasy games and things like that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at the, I watched the trailer for it um, and had seen some screenshots and stuff and it, it definitely has that vibe and, and has a, a good look to it. I, I love that look, that style of, of art or whatever in games. So, so super cool. So again, we'll, and we'll come back to, to more of Mango Mischief here in a bit, but, but to start with you, when did you start gaming? Who introduced you to it? How did you, how did you get introduced into gaming? Sure. So I guess my first console ever was my mom's Atari 2600, nice. where she she was a, a gamer from from her generation and things like that. So she had like 50 different Atari games. And it was just really interesting to see what you could do with like one joystick and one button. And just like that was it. So, um, you know, I, I would be playing some games with her. And then as my two younger brothers got older, we would all play together. And uh, apparently, um, my mom would would get to take screenshot or I guess, I don't know, Kodak pictures of of her high scores in games like Mega Mania and Kaboom and River Raid from the old school Atari games. And she would like email them to wherever and like she'd get like a shirt or a, I don't know, a shout out in some sort of like list for top scores. So that was always really cool. And then as, as we got older, um, my older cousins and some of our friends had the NES and the SNES, but uh, my main console was the N64. So that was kind of the the main console, the main vehicle for getting to to bond with my younger brothers. And then just that kind of turned me on to, to gaming, you know, from that time on, I got it when I was eight years old. 
Awesome. So I, I have to say, we've Brett and I both were introduced to gaming by our dads and our moms weren't necessarily like, it's not like they prevented us from playing games, but definitely I wouldn't use the word supportive. Um, so that's super cool that your mom it was not only supportive of it, but herself a gamer bragging about high scores on yeah, like, the like, world before like the mailing, internet. Mailing a Polaroid to get into a magazine high score table on a game that doesn't because there's no internet right so there's no like you can't submit your video to <laughs> your yeah. video proof yeah it's interesting you say that because i guess at some point maybe there was a little bit of a double standard eventually where when she realized we were playing games a lot more than she would have liked she would kind of you know pull the reins back a little bit um you know i remember you know playing you know we'd be playing online games when we got into things like starcraft where she would just be like oh just pause it and we'd have to like explain to her <laughs> while we're playing why you can't pause the online game so you know there was obviously a little bit of a generational gap there but she she was totally cool with us playing video games a reasonable amount as long as you know we always got our schoolwork done first and, and things like that kind of priorities no that's super cool like i i think that well and so did she continue her love of gaming like as things progressed did she continue to to stay a gamer um not as much um she she was super busy being like a single mom working her butt off and things like that um but there'd be times where she would just kind of uh i guess vicariously through how enthusiastic we were she'd stick around she'd listen to us chat and talk and you know, like try to teach her these things like I, I tried one time like writing an entire instruction booklet on like how to start from playing Starcraft, but I was like 10, 12 years old, so that didn't work out. But, <laughs> but she, she would definitely appreciate the things we were doing and the conversations that my brothers and I would just have every day all the time about the different N64 games we were playing, about the different Blizzard games we were playing. Um, she definitely appreciated it and was, she, I think for no other reason, she appreciated the fact that we were building such a strong kind of brotherly bond through that that's vehicle. Awesome. And she was like, that's what mattered the most, I think, in terms of like the family dynamic. Yeah. So, so here's a question, especially when you get to like N64 and, mm -hmm. uh, things like, I'm sure, you know, especially having multiple people in the same vicinity of the same N64, this, this ends up coming up with a number of games, but did you have enough controllers to go around? Which, uh, controllers were never in short supply. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, now that being said, I'm the oldest, so I was always first player. The, the middle child was always second, and I, I guess the youngest was third. That, keep that was, the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. Back when I could enforce that, that was that was the rule. Um, and once in a while, I'll still enforce that for fun. But yeah, there were always a, a ton of a ton of great games and plenty of controllers. And you know, sometimes they needed to be replaced, and and that was that was always on the Christmas list or the birthday list or something like that. But yeah, um, the only downside, of course, was that when you have three people, it, you know, the TV split into quarters. Right. And, and then, you know, you've got just like a tiny, tiny screen, one fourth of the normal size. So, you know, some games like like Perfect Dark or GoldenEye, things like that, you know, you're obviously cheating and looking at each other's screens, oh, yeah. stuff like that. You know, Mario Kart, you're you're lining up to be right in front of the person. And so that way you can shoot your turtle soul backwards. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was all fun. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was always it was always fun to play the three player games. Yeah, that's super cool. So on the, the N64, this is a game that I I didn't know other people really knew about because to me it, it seems so um, I, I'm gonna say throwaway and it's not fair, uh, but it's actually way more popular than than I thought. But did you did you get into Quest sixty four at all? Okay, I'm just I'm gonna make my <laughs> brothers watch this. That is my guilty pleasure game, favorite game. Nice. Of all I swear, I, this is actually hilarious. Um, I did not plan this, Daniel and Jason, my two brothers. Um, <laughs> but yes, um, yeah, there was the, uh, 
it was the sad attempt at like an RPG for the N64 before like mm-hmm. Nintendo lost like Square and all its mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, but that's totally my guilty pleasure game. Um, I, I, I love playing that game. That is, along with a few other games, that's a game I, I play religiously every year, just like an annual. Let's see if I can beat the game a little bit differently because the way it's set up, it's like, you think you've got the freedom to choose like four different elements. You know, you got fire, water, earth, and, and air. But you realize pretty quickly you're kind of pigeonholed into the two elements that are the only healing, one of the only healing magic and like the magic that makes you literally invincible and like kill everything. So, um, but I always try to find cool places, uh, cool different strategies for that. And as I was kind of thinking about how I wanted to to kind of develop my game, uh, I was looking at games like Quest 64 and other games that tried new things kind of like out of the normal cliche comfort zone because like quest 64 had an interesting combat style it had an interesting leveling up style there were a couple things that uh, they took chances in a lot of different ways and 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 when you do that with an rpg um a lot of players are going to appreciate that and a lot of players are going to kind of expect a certain system of of development with the game and just not like a certain play style. So like it, it really resonated with me. I really, really, really enjoy that game. Um, but I can totally see how a lot of people didn't appreciate the way certain things were set up. But that that's I, I love the fact that you already brought up Quest 64. <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. Yeah. So I I played it like I rented it, I think, once when I was a kid and yeah. I just couldn't get very far in it because I suck and <laughs> and it's well it's it's a game that you're right so since in the in recent times I've actually watched it I'm pretty sure on all games done quick they've had speed runs of it like in the summer or winter all games done quick speed running thing yeah. and watching those people who are of course the experts on <laughs> whatever game they're speed running um yeah, they explained a lot more of the mechanics and it was like, oh, that actually is. And that's why I say I feel bad saying throw away because that's how I felt about it when I was 12. But now it's like, oh, to your point, there is some interesting, innovative things that they tried there. Um, it just I mean, the name Quest 64 isn't a real attention grabber. And I don't know, it just didn't it didn't get a lot of marketing or anything. You know what I mean? I just never saw a lot about it. So. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we uh, they just finished Summer Games Done Quick, and and I I also love watching those speedruns, the Awesome Games Done Quick, and the Summer Games because uh, for the commentary for I mean, first of all, just to watch the technical skill that that <laughs> these masters of games have, and then on right. top of the technical skill, all the glitches and like how to break Ocarina of Time, how to break Super Mario sixty four, like those things are always hilarious to watch, and then just the commentary of just the behind the scenes, well actually right in front of you explanations on you know this is the intention of what's supposed to happen right now these are all the buttons and controls and these are all the things that are happening that you might watch and have no idea what's going on so it just gives you that you know higher level of appreciation when you know you're kind of being educated on exactly what's happening you get a, a stronger appreciation for that um yeah and, and quest 64 they have a lot of game breaking things too which is fun but yeah it's it's very unforgiving like you can't just buy items and it's like, wait, there's an RPG where you can't just like get in-game currency and just buy items at a shop. Like, no, if if you go across the first boss and you use all your your health replenishing items, um, you you can maybe find like one more. And then other than that, you just have to grind the game a whole bunch to get through like the first boss. And so like there's there's a lot of uh, high risks and sometimes it doesn't feel like the rewards necessarily balance out nicely. So if you're kind of unsure of where to go yeah i'm not at all surprised you're, you're not the first person that i've ever heard say yeah i i picked up quest 64 a little bit and lost interest or got stuck in lost interest or realized i had to grind a ton and lost interest or there are a bunch of perfectly good justifications for that 
um yeah that's yeah, super cool that you who, love it <laughs> uh doesn't ever use the potions that i'm given anyway because i always think there's a better place to use them i, I might be all right <laughs> i love how you said that because when I'm making my game, I'm exactly that type of player. I'm the mm -hmm. player who grinds out a ton of levels ahead of time. I'm the player who just hoards every single item. So I complete the game with like 99, whether it's Phoenix Downs or health potions or whatever, because mm -hmm. I'm always worried that I'm not going to have enough. And of course, yep. like realistically, like I've got 99 of them. There's not going to be a case <laughs> for only Plus like Cure and Kiraga and like all of right. the spells too. But that was one thing that from the developer side, I keep coming across all these challenges where like, all right, well, how do I address that sort of situation? Like, do I want to not do anything about it? Do I want to try to come up with some sort of plan that encourages people to use the items? So like coming, given that that's my background as a player, someone who just hoards items, I, I'm slowly tinkering with ways to convince people to actually use items, not just outside of battle, but like waste a combat turn during battle because a lot of times you know if you're not dealing damage you think it's a waste of a turn or if you're not you know buffing yourself or debuffing or you know giving a status ailment to your opponent you think that you're wasting a turn so like you know players develop these hierarchies of like ideally could i just like keep whacking him with like the same spell over and over again or the same hit over and over again until until he's dead or do i have to actually analyze the situation think about it and like do i really want to waste an item um so like for me with that specific scenario, um, I lowered the cap of every single item you can get. Cause usually I'm used to having like 99, you can't have more than 10 of the same item at any time. However, um, there's like the item drop rate is really, really, really high. Mm, so yeah. you're never, it's, it's never in short supply. You kill one more person and you're going to get that item back anyway. So it's, it's encouraging for a few different reasons. Um, because if I'm lowering the item cap from 99 to 10, I would imagine players would be like, okay, well now I'm definitely not going to use them because I don't have 89 right. of them. Um, but at the same time, you're getting all these rewards. And at some point it's like, well, look, if, if I know that I'm guaranteed or essentially guaranteed to get this item from beating this monster anyway, you know, I want my rewards to count for something. Cause if you have 10 potions and you just killed a really hard monster and got five more, but they just got thrown into the garbage because you can't yep. carry anymore, you know, it might encourage you to kind of change your approach. And quite frankly, if, if it doesn't, fine. You can just walk around with 10 of every item in the game and never get any more items. You can you can be maxed, that's fine. Um, but I wanna make sure that the items drop at a high enough rate and that they're good enough that would warrant kind of quote unquote wasting a combat turn. That way you can say, all right, you know what? I know I'm not dealing damage to the monster right now. Maybe I wanna play a slightly more conservative play style, but I think it's important for me to actually use a potion. Or, you know, maybe actually revive one of my four characters um, and not just try to make it through the rest of the battle with three. Like, I'm, I'm trying to make it a little bit more flexible in terms of the willingness to use items because you know you're going to get them back anyway. Yeah, in uh, in D&D, this kind of comes up. I, I've dungeon mastered a lot of games and players forgetting that they have things like heal, healing potions because they think mm -hmm. that, again, damage is king. That uh, the fastest way that I've taught other people how to teach their players to remember these things is nothing in the rule book says that your bad guys can't have items too. And so having just like this battle is going way too well in the player's favor. I want to challenge them some and remind them to use their things. The bad guy pulls out a healing potion and drinks it. And all of a sudden the players go, 
we have healing potions and, <laughs> and like oh my god well, so like a bad guy that uses the same item in the game that like phoenix downs like mm -hmm. vampire lord phoenix downs vampire count and like brings them back like oh the player will be like i have those and this is bad <laughs> that that's so cool because yeah i haven't even thought about that i mean i guess it'd be i guess one of the spells in my game but i know that players will get offended when monsters like use totally reasonable things that the players have been taking for granted the entire <laughs> right. game it's like wait you can heal yourself that's unfair and it's like what have you done every single time right before and right after every battle ever like of course um yeah it's funny you mentioned D because you know over the past year and a half um you know since we've been like quarantined and things like that uh my my friends um i have a bunch of friends who are uh, math teacher colleagues of mine i'm i'm also a math teacher um and uh, they've they've played D and D for years, and I never played, but I was always interested. And so, given that we couldn't hang out in person, you know, we've just been playing like every week for the past I don't know over a year now. Um, just and I'm just kind of learning a little bit of D and D. Where like the first campaign was, you know, how Chris you know learns how to perception check everywhere. Like it's just there's a lot of like not knowing what you don't know. And then, you know, you walk into a room and then die. And then it's like, okay, so now I know. Now I've got some intel and I've got some uh, information and feedback on kind of how to play this a little bit better. Um, so yeah, D&D has been fun. And, and that kind of creative aspect has been a really good outlet for me too. Between playing D&D with my friends who are have moved from holding my hand a little bit to kind of letting me go and, you know, taking off the training wheels a little bit has been really nice as well as kind of developing Mango Mischief have been my, my two main uh, creative outlets for the past year and a half. Yeah, that's really cool. I, you know, the, the what you're talking about too with um, the 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 limit that you're putting on items and kind of trying to encourage players to to use the items. It's something I've been thinking about. It, it really hit me. I don't, and this is not a JRPG certainly, uh, and it's an RPG in a lot of ways, I guess. But there's a game called Valheim that's very popular that came out earlier this year. Brett and I played a ton of it, um, and in it. You get gear and equipment that upgrades, so you get more powerful. You get levels, or it's not really levels, but whatever, your skills level up over time, so they become more proficient or whatever. But like your hit point pool, for example, is tied entirely to food. And so as you, and Valheim's kind of like a uh, survival crafting kind of game. Are you familiar with it at all? I, I am not, no. Okay, so it, um, think like, um, like it kind of looks like like a Skyrim maybe or something like big open world. You're going around collecting stuff. And anyway, so you go and, and you cut down the tier one wood and now you can make a tier one shield. And then eventually you can cut down tier two wood. Now you can make a tier two shield and so on and so forth. Well, the food has all of that too. So you get low level food that you consume. And as the game progresses, you unlock more and more complicated foods that then increase your total health pool and your health regeneration and stamina regeneration over time. And, and so it was really interesting to me because it's like, I don't know that I've ever seen an RPG lean that hard into the food and like something that's craftable being such a significant part of, of what I refer to as like the power curve of the character. Well, um, if you haven't eaten in a while, if you have no food in your slots that you've eaten, you right. just have the same health that you started the game with. Even if you have end game level gear, you're still have 25 HP. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty clever. I mean, yeah, I think Breath of the Wild has Breath of the Wild has a pretty similar crafting okay. thing, you know, getting more hearts and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I think anything that kind of questions the status quo with something like that is is always going to be cool. Um, yeah, I, I think my leveling process 
is is more traditional in that respect in terms of an increase in stat bonuses. Um, although there's the flexibility of the different trees, uh, job trees and class trees, you can go into different directions and different levels to gain different skill, skills and things like that. But yeah, I mean, wh whether it's whether it's finding innovative ways to to boost your stats besides just gaining experience or or just a, a different philosophy and outlook in how you approach the game. So like, you know, I come from more of a Diablo Diablo 2 background than like a Dungeons and Dragons background. So like when when I started playing D&D with with my friends, they were like, you know, you don't have to kill everything all the time. Every like, single rat. <laughs> right. Yes. It's like, let's go back. Let's go back into the house. Maybe they respawn. It's like, probably not. But <laughs> it's always these like, you know, I'm used to the hack and slash. I'm used to the, you know, the the action RPG of like Diablo 2. And so my mindset for a while, it was pretty singular in terms of like the customization and skill trees there and how you gain levels and how you get stronger is is always experience oriented. And so playing some other games um, and, and sounds like Valheim 2. Um, and what I'm trying to do for, for Mango Mischief is kind of go out of my comfort zone too, and try to just find other ways to make the game interesting and thought provoking and, you know, where the decision-making process matters also. So it's not necessarily like, let me just blindly kill 10 rats and then I'm, I'm good to go. Maybe there's a little bit more depth to it. Yeah. Just the abundance of the potions that you were talking about. It, it, I, I feel like if I encountered that, I would think of it as like, oh, well, because there's this abundance of potions and I can't stockpile a hundred of them it's intended that I use these, right? So that's just like in Diablo, like in Diablo, <laughs> health potions are very much part of your character's capacity. Like if you have no health potions in Diablo, you're done, right? I mean, in Diablo three, they don't even have potions. It's just a an auto refreshing thing that's always available because it's so, you know, intrinsic to it. So I think that's a really cool idea you've got there. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, with, with, Diablo, with Diablo, that you've got a belt, so that tells you how many slots you can have readily available. You've got a stash, so you can have more potions, but then you've got less room to pick up loot and, and other gear and, you know, charms and scrolls and things like that. So yeah, forcing people to make decisions is generally what I found to be a net good because it, it leads to different play styles and different replay value. It's like, okay, well, you know, I managed to get through the game or get through this part doing this other, doing this single play style, but, you know, it worked okay. But now I'm thinking if I have done it differently, would I have had a more successful outcome, you know, is it more risky, you know, is it safer, things like that. So let me play it again. And and that's always a good thing if, if you know, if players are like, you know, what, let me play it a second time because I think I could do things a little bit differently or a little bit better. Um, and uh, and then before you know it, you're, you're on games done quick doing speed runs and things like that. So yeah, that's always a good thing. <laughs> so do you have a similar solution in place for overleveling? Because I, you know, also have kind of watched some of the trailers and some of the the more satirical aspects of the game that you're taking. I could easily see like the first mini boss just interrupting you and being like, hey, like to play the joke back at people that like, oh, and you you kill 5000 rats until you're so giant that the first mini boss like cowers in fear. Like instead, like the the mini boss like coming to you and be like, hey, can we not like, <laughs> but do you yeah. have any any kind of things in place that can help? Uh, keep people from grinding too much and and enjoying the rest of the game. Um, I definitely have a lot of that dialogue and conversation in terms of if someone's overleveled, if someone's underleveled, if the boss realizes that they're about to engage in a totally unfair fight, um, there those things will be addressed. It's funny the dungeon I'm working on right now is is pointing that out too. Um, I I'm trying to. I think that's the biggest, that's probably the hardest thing for me to balance in terms of the difficulty levels. Um, because what I'm trying to do, there, there's 
kind of a beginning part of the game where it's a little bit more linear, a little bit more like, you know, there's training wheels. You kind of get a feel for how the combat system works, how the, you know, let's build up the, the storylines and things like that. And then, you know, once you get, you know, the ship, which of course is, you know, magically the only transportation device in the game, because no one else has a ship, you've got the ship. Um, I really wanted to actually have like a legitimate level of freedom. And I've noticed a lot of RPGs have this kind of, kind of BS freedom where it's like, you know, you can explore any of the eight dungeons you want to collect any of the, you know, eight completely arbitrary magic stones that don't serve any purpose and are just a, MacGu a MacGuffin to develop the storyline. Um, but these three dungeons, you know, someone's standing in front of the cave, so you can't really walk there. And this dungeon, like, it it gives you, like, the, the false idea of freedom, but then it really pushes you to the first dungeon you ought to be using, uh, ought to be attacking first. And so I really wanted to make it a legitimate... You know any of these dungeons you could do in any order, um, which is which is an annoying for me to to create. I, I I'm not a computer programmer or anything like that, and and I'm learning a lot of this on the fly, which is great. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm essentially creating. You know I've got eight more advanced dungeons which you can do in any order, and I have to make sure that every dungeon levels up based on the other dungeons you've already completed. So you know. Maybe Brett goes in the order in which I created the dungeons, one through eight, and then Walker does the complete backwards uh, set. And so I want to make sure that regardless of the dun which dungeons you complete in which order, you still have a reasonable amount of difficulty. So um, that is tied more closely to how you're progressing through the game. Have you have you beaten one of the dungeons yet? Have you built, uh, beaten five of the dungeons? Things like that. Um, so I'm going through literally every single monster and being like, all right, well, you know, if they, you know, if Walker's already beaten this many dungeons, or if Brett's already beaten this many dungeons, then the random encounter or the visible encounter that they're going to engage with is this higher tier monster or this lower tier monster. So it's same monster sprites, same monster except for the stats and the the, the attacks and things like that. Um, so I'm trying to balance the difficulty level at based on every single permutation of the dungeons the best that they can. That way, there's like a legitimate level of freedom where you know, you might figure out at some point that beating one dungeon first would have been way better than leaving it to last or vice versa. And quite frankly, I don't even know what like the magic order of these dungeons are, which is part of the fun. I just want to make sure that each one is beatable um, and uh, and reasonably good. Um, I don't think that there's any way to, well, I, I'm not going to be that, that arrogant. I am <laughs> not aware. Um, I, I'm not aware of any way to perfectly protect against the type of player who likes to like super grind in one dungeon over and over and over again. Um, that was me also. Um, but on top of over leveling myself, what I would typically do is just use the same attack over and over again. Like, all right, now that I'm super strong, uh, this special attack just wins all the time. And so that was kind of the reason why I over leveled to get that one attack. That way I could kind of be lazy with the combat. That's something I can protect against a little bit with the different, um, the different engagements with the different monsters. So you might have a really great attack that does physical damage, but if someone's immune to physical damage or you know is, is really, really, really uh, vulnerable to magic damage, it might make more sense to have to go through the different skills you have. I wanted to be, I wanted to make sure that the skills that I'm creating for each of my characters are usable and somewhat attractive in a lot of different cases. That way, it's not like 
you know, I've got 30 different skills, but I've only used two the entire game. So that's something I'm really big on in terms of getting feedback for. Like, which spells have you never used? Are there any spells that you're using, like, at least 50% of the time? Like, I want to make sure that we can kind of tweak those, whether it's tweaking the effectiveness of a spell or skill, or tweaking just how many monsters uh, are vulnerable or invulnerable to those sorts of skills too. So I think there's a lot of different points of entry for kind of uh, addressing that sort of challenge in terms of people just getting really, really strong and using kind of blindly the same attack and then combat not being interesting and not needing to think about anything. Oh, hey, what's up, man? Is that uh, is that Indiana Jones that you're doing there? No, it's it's Star Wars. It's the Death March. Oh, right. Well, it's ominous sounding. So what's with that? Well, I mean, I was just imagining, you know, having to get in a character for when we have the corporate overlords that we'll submit to when we start selling out on ads. Oh, man. Yeah, it would be cool if there was some other way that we could fund the show. I mean, yeah, we we have a way, though. It's it's called ko-fi.com slash pod. People can just donate to Ko-Fi to help keep the podcast ad-free for the cost of about of a cup of coffee. Oh, well, that sounds way better. What mouth trumpet song would you play for that? Uh, I don't know. I don't have trumpet music for every situation, man. It's just kind of random. Oh, well, color me surprised. That's not a color. Yeah, that's it's I mean. Really, the the two solutions that you've posed, um, you know, first the 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 ability to explore anything. When you first started describing it, in my head, I was like, it seems like the problem with that would be that all the dungeons would be tuned for the first, you know, the first level or whatever. So they just get they would just be too easy. But you solve that problem by building that in programmatically for them to reference what you've already beaten. So that's a really innovative solution to that. That's really cool. Um, and then what you're talking about there, I mean, you know, obviously, I think the most common way that ability uses are limited is cooldowns, right? Like you can use it now you can't use it again for five turns. And that can obviously that can work and it works in a lot of games. Um, but if it's if it if it's like you you can't use your most powerful ability because it's just arbitrarily on cooldown, that might not feel fun. But when it's built around the design of the enemies, I think that it feels a lot more the player feels less handcuffed by it and more like, oh, the game is just demanding me to think and try and use, you know, different stuff. So that, both of those, both those ideas are really, really uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd much rather have the player make the decision to use this skill or not use their skill um, as opposed to, yeah, like you said, have this arbitrary, well, now you can't use it again. There's a, there's a penalty and like, okay, in some cases that might make sense. Um, but I'd much rather have the player actually consciously make the decision to, to use it now, but not use it for the next five turns because there are other cool options that might be interesting or innovative and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, ha having the dungeons vary in difficulty depending on your progress in the game is something that is probably the most work for me to do, but it, it's very rewarding because even if there's not someone standing in front of the cave to you know dissuade you from going in, there, there's other ways to really dissuade you that I've seen some other RPGs have. I, I think, is it Octopath Traveler that like tells you what the level you should be is? Like, it's like, there are level 50 monsters here, and it's like, okay, so you're basically telling me I can't go here, or, or I can, but I'm not going to have a good time. And so there's some risk. You know, maybe you can try to, to run through the path really, really fast, and if you can escape every single battle, you can get to the other side. But now you're between like a level 50 path and a level 60 path, and you're still level 20. So it's just like, 
I, I guess that's one way to set it up too, but I really wanted to make it so there was very, very little um, dissuading on my part. Um, that way people could legitimately explore wherever they wanted, really whenever they wanted. And I, I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback, which is good about who this is still too hard. This is still too easy or this be, this starts off easy. But if I came here later on after I beat a bunch of other dungeons, now it's way too hard because maybe I just didn't level up. Maybe I beat some really quick dungeons. I didn't gain a lot of experience. And so I was under leveled, you know, maybe the game thought that I'd be stronger because I beat four dungeons but I really kind of half-assed those four dungeons and just ran through and you know met, somehow luckily killed the boss or something like that. So they're all they're, these are all different things to address, and I think they're all really cool problems to have. And some of them don't even necessarily need to be fixed by me. I think a lot of times the players will just figure out, okay, well, you know, in the future maybe I should just try a different dungeon, or maybe I should spend a little bit of time, you know, um, actually not escaping every single battle ever. I mean, like as a game develop, as someone who's developing the game, it's like I spend a lot of time making those monsters. If you're not going to play a uh, play against any of them, oh my gosh, it, it's very frustrating. And you know, making like four or six or eight of the same monster over and over again just so they can be at different difficulty levels. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, but then again, you know, you know, I, I'm guilty of of escaping battles if there's that one monster I don't want to play, or if or if I feel strong enough to beat the boss and I don't like the area anyway. You know, maybe I can just get in and get out nice and fast. So. You know, you can't make everyone happy all the time. Um, so the you know, allowing for a little bit more versatility and a little bit more flexibility for players to make those decisions, I, I think is 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 pretty useful because that way the players will, I guess, reflect on the decisions they've made rather than the decisions that I've made for them. You know, if I if I try to run through a dungeon and just escaping every battle and avoiding everything, and I can't beat the boss because I'm under leveled, I know it's my fault. At least at some point, it's my fault for for not playing the game. You know, I don't want to say the way it ought to be played, but by by skipping a lot of the the useful progressions and things like that. So I pretty quickly understand how I'm supposed to react to that, as opposed to feeling like it was necessarily unfair. I don't think anyone who wants to play like anyone who buys like a 50, 60 hour JRPG, which what I'm thinking my game will end up being, you know, a nice long RPG. I don't think anyone's expecting to just rush through it and just fight like a boss rush the first time around. They want to spend the time, they want to explore, they want to try out a whole bunch of different things, I hope. Um, so yeah, I, I, and then, you know, if they play a second time and they're like, cool, I can just totally skip this, you know, skip the battles here and I could do this faster and, I, you know, uh, that's that's fine. That's totally fine. You know, they can play it however they want to play it. So you, you mentioned the... Like getting players to use a variety of the skills and abilities that they have at kind of any level. And I feel like there in a lot of games, there's kind of, at least not all of course, but in a lot, I see an extreme case on one of two sides. You either have what I would call like the Pokemon side, which is where you get four ability slots for each of your characters. And even if an ability that you get at like level three is really useful in endgame, you consider should I keep it or swap it out for something else? And you may get a lot of abilities that are useful, but never really get to use all of them in a single battle because you can only have four at a time. The other side of that is kind of a more classic JRPG where, especially for a spellcaster, you can have 30 or 40 spells, but a lot of them are copies of like, there's cure one, cure two, <laughs> cure three, mass cure, cure all, cure resistance, like... And, and so you just, you have to hold the down button as you hear the little chime go through a <laughs> hundred. Yeah. 
to get and then you, you zoom over it and you got to go back up you know three or four to get back to it to cast the one spell that you're casting like you said every single turn um do you have an idea for is there a happy medium for that yeah so well first of all to address the scrolling thing i, I i've made it so that um when you open up your your magic or skill tab for the second time um the the skill that's currently selected is the one you just use. So you don't have to, you know, if you want to use the fire spell 10 times in a row, you don't have to go all the way down. It, it's still at fire. So if you just feel like blasting away fire, you, like you're good to go. Um, but yeah, I think the happy medium is, well, if the, I guess for me, what I've done is I've added a lot more consequences, not a cooldown like we talked about before, but I mean, penalizing with, with costing more MP, like a lot more MP. If you, if, you know, magic points, if you want to cast a high level spell, like, you know, hopefully it'll get to the point where like, you can't just spam, you know, the Thundaga or the Thundaga, like maybe it makes sense to, to actually conserve a little bit more magic points. Cause it's going to be a long battle. Um, and maybe you can get away like with the maximum efficiency of like optimizing. Like, can I just use like the level one version of this elemental spell? Do I have to do the level four version? Things like that. Um, so I think there are a few different ways you can address it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if someone wants to to spam the highest level spells and you know just keep replenishing their magic and then spam and then replenish their magic, they can do that too. And 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 I'm fine with that as well. I I want to make sure that at least the spells are useful through the majority of the game. But you're right. Obviously, as you get stronger, you know, if you have an unlimited mana pool, you know, what's the point of using a level one spell? So the, these are challenges that we, we totally have to address. And I think uh, whether it's through something like cooldowns, which is doesn't work for my specific situation, or just high high magic situations um, or high MP costs, uh, there are some ways that you can you can kind of adjust or at least address those as a, as a developer making an RPG. Yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather, I do want to say, I'd rather have them have too many options than too few though. So like per personally, I never felt good about the, the restriction to, to four spells, like for Pokemon. I mean, I totally got it and I loved playing Pokemon, like especially the first and second gen games. But, um, yeah, at some point it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, with my Blastoise, I'm going to keep like the two best water spells and then which TMs totally break the game in terms of like addressing my weaknesses. Can, and, you're telling me Mewtwo can't remember more than four things. Come right, on. Right. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's yeah. Th those sorts of restrictions are, are a little silly, but they do force you to think outside the box, which is nice. And I guess before everyone knew about how to get like infinitely many TMs and things like that, maybe you actually cared who you gave fire blast to or, or, or hyper beam or whatever. Um, but yeah. So I think that does put, a useful restriction and that it forces people to think about the decisions that they make. Although I'm a little overly cautious about those decisions are permanent. Like I still, you know, have nightmares about the, you know, one, two poof, you know, your Pokemon forgot the skill that you actually meant for him to keep and learn this totally useless skill. It's like, Oh God, now what do I do? Like now you're just screwed for what the rest of the game. Like, so those are very, very um, high stakes decisions. And you know, there'll be a couple of those in the game, but um, I want, I, I do want, I have found that when you allow, not do-overs per se, but when you allow for a little bit of, of recovery from those sorts of situations, people are more willing to, to take chances on things like that. Like the rewards might be reasonable and the risks aren't too high. So I don't feel pigeonholed into a certain decision. I don't feel too, too anxious about trying this new thing because I'm not just like screwed for the rest of the game. 
So I, I kind of want to make sure this, that people, the players have that flexibility and don't get, you know, super pissed off if they make the wrong decision. You know, it, it's, it's, it's able to be undone. Yeah. I think that's super important. Um, I, you know, older games limited very severely, if even had at all the ability to like respec, you know, as you get later into a game, um, I'm actually, and Hey, it's 40 minutes before I mention an MMO, but here we are. Um, <laughs> so I'm playing a, a new MMO now called, called Crowfall. It doesn't have a buyback tab on the vendor. So, oh, no. so selling things to the vendor is maybe the most high stakes Ooh. thing there is in the game. <laughs> if you misclick, it's just gone and that's it. And it's like, oh, come on. It's ultimate legendary. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy uh, your white cracked item. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't mean to go on about it. It just made, when you were talking about high stakes decisions, I, I couldn't help but think of that because, uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely can be challenging. And, and I mean, the vendor is kind of a funny thing. But really, when you're building the character or choosing what abilities to use, I think you're absolutely right that allowing players the ability to experiment, right? And that there's some fun in that. And I know personally, if there's not that respec option, that's what drives me to wiki things, right? That's what drives me to try and understand the meta. And now I'm not really immersed in the game because I'm worried about ruining my experience versus just playing it and going. And I think that level of flexibility enables people to have more immersion, frankly. Yeah, you know, I played a lot of Diablo 2 with my two younger brothers growing up, and it was the same way. It was, you know, if you use one skill point in the wrong slot, you, you've you sabotaged your entire build, and then they ended up coming up with with new changes with synergies where specking became just important. And I, I think eventually they patched in the ability to respec to a certain degree. Um, but yeah, at the very beginning, it was just like, no, you, either... Either you risk, you know, every level you gain one skill point and you can put it where you want now, but maybe you should be saving it because maybe, you know, you want to be saving it for, for a later time. And if you use it now, you get the, the, uh, the, the immediate reward, but you know, it would pay off a lot more if you save it. So now all of a sudden, you know, you're not really using all the, the new skills and abilities that you could be using. So again, players could choose those things, but I want to make sure this student, that, that my players are still, uh, enjoying and not too worried about micromanaging and, and yeah having to look up what the what the correct way to play the game is or to build the character is that um you know i i will always look on how to min max and how to optimize those things but um it can get really exhausting and i don't want people to get frustrated just because they didn't do it the way that you know someone randomly said that the best way to do it is or you know you can get like 10 more points of damage if you do it this other way and it's like well i'm dealing a thousand damage you know maybe 10 points isn't that much or if there's you know, there's some variance with a lot of the attacks anyway. So you could still do 10 more points of damage anyway. Not a huge deal. I just think that's hilarious. We were talking about, you know, hoarding potions. Brett mentioned he's a, a potion hoarder. But then, yeah, you're absolutely right. In Diablo 2, you had to be a skill point hoarder, which is yeah. even, which is way worse than, <laughs> than hoarding yeah. potions. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. No, I mean, that's true, though, because there's it, punishing not getting to enjoy the fun part of the game. And it's like not a direct punishment. It's not like an intentional, like, you know, enemies get harder if you spend your skill points or whatever, like, but, but it feels like a punishment because you feel like I want to use these cool things. There's all these cool paths, but if I don't have the skill points or I haven't specced my tree out perfectly, then I don't get a, a modulation arrow at level 30. <laughs> and if I don't have it at level 30, I can't do, you know, half a zone four or whatever. Yeah. And I think, and maybe, Maybe this is just because I like to replay a bunch of my RPGs, but I feel like in in most RPGs, 
the first time I'm just doing a, like a legitimate playthrough. I'm not trying to overthink or min max just the first time I'm doing it for the experience to learn about, you know, to enjoy the combat, to enjoy the story. If it has a real story to enjoy all of those things too. And then it's when I played again or a third time or fourth time when I'm really focusing on optimizing perfectly. And I think that that's, I think that when people are interested in optimizing the play styles, I could be wrong, but I feel like that's usually the second time they play or the third time they play, not the first time necessarily. And and so if they want to find a way to perfect the the order that they play through the dungeons or the perfect the way that they build, you know, there's a lot of different uh, different classes that unlock different skills at different times. So you know, if you're playing through Mango Mischief three or four or five times, you're gonna know like, all right, well, based on which dungeon you know I want to go through first. I should probably have this skill ahead of time, which means I'll have this job. You know, maybe I'll leave the other classes to a little bit later. So, you know, let me come up with with the the route that I find to be most ideal, not just in the dungeons I progress through, not just in that order, but how I level up my character and which classes you know they go through in which order. And that's totally fine. Um, I can't imagine that that's usually. I can't imagine, at least for me, that that'd be the first thing I'd care about with my first playthrough. Um, but at the same time, I also want to make sure that there's pros and cons to any of the orders you play through. So, you know, there's no, oh man, I decided to level up the class that's completely useless. Like, that's not a thing, at least in my game. There, there's pros and cons to, to everything, which is good. So I'm hoping that there will be, you know, a little bit of versatility in terms of how you want to build uh, the four different characters you have. So is this the first game that you've ever tried to make? Uh, so about two, two and a half years ago, on uh, this one's on RPG Maker MV. That's the game engine I'm using. Uh, a few years ago, um, on Game Maker Studio, I just made a little like asteroids clone, like you know, just shooting through things that explode. They were all mangoes um, and stuff. It, it was just to like tinker with things because uh, I do not have like a computer science or computer programming background. Um, but it was just really cool because you know, as a gamer for the past you know thirty years now, um, it's always been. Uh, a dream of mine to actually get to make my own and you know this has become like a really big passion project for me and so it'd be cool you know if i could make a little asteroids clone um here or you know what we're doing now what i'm doing now with a much bigger project mango mischief um the little asteroids clone took me you know like a few weeks or something and it was a lot of fun but i would definitely say that this is the first like legitimate game that i've actually created yeah I think I hear a mini game. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so I, I, I've used a lot of Game Maker, and and it's a it's a really good foundational tool. I've I've mm. thought about coming into to RPG Maker a few different times, but it's mostly that what hobby do I want to put time into? Right. So, but it, so you've got a lot of we've we've mentioned like some of the satire, some of the humor. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, like go check out the the YouTube video for the trailer. We'll have the link in the description. I think it's really good, but it definitely reminds me of and I don't know if there was any intentionality or even any the subconscious thought, but we've spoken about a number of games and we have kind of a related gamer age. So are you um, aware of at all or have you taken any inspiration from things like dorkly bits yeah I, I, well okay <laughs> I, I have watched those 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 videos in terms of yeah every rpg ever um and yeah and and those are some things i address too mostly coincidentally i mean there are there are lists of rpg cliches online oh yeah hilarious oh yeah um but yeah just just the 
you know, calling out the whole, all right, well, you know, the main protagonist, you know, their town's burning to the ground and you were asleep, but you woke up, but you have, you know, amnesia. And then, oh, your best friend is going to be part of your party too. And then there's this mysterious girl who is, of course, a secret princess. And then there's, you know, and then eventually you get to the boss, but it's not the real boss. It's, you know, and then there's the the real boss, but he's really got multiple forms. It's just like, you know, now go ahead and collect these like 10 arbitrary treasures that won't do anything at all. They just sit in your inventory the entire game, but you'll accidentally give them to the ultimate boss so he can do his thing. And it's like, so if you never played the game at all, like you wouldn't have access to them. And it's calling <laughs> out all of these little things. Um, yeah, I, I've seen them. Uh, I've seen the, the YouTube videos and th those types of things, as well as playing the RPGs and, and just that being reinforced, whether it's like a Quest 64 situation where there'd be reasonable criticism where it's like, well, you know, they, I like that they approached this, but I wish they could have done things differently. And, and you know, there are a lot of RPGs I've played where it's, where it's like, yeah, I really like the game overall, but you know, here's one thing that I wish they would have done. And I'm getting to put those ideas in this game or, you know, there I've played too many games now where the story is just really half-assed. It's just like, you're not playing it for the story um, it's just every other RPG story type of thing. And hopefully the combat system's good, or maybe it's really, really, really pretty. Um, so like, what are, you, what are they trying to get out of the game? Um, so I'm calling attention to those things too. Um, additionally, all the other things you kind of take for granted. So, you know, whenever you're trying to learn more about the quest you're on, you'll, you'll go into people's houses, you'll ask them, you'll have the dialogue. And there are a few NPCs in my game who totally call you out on the fact that you just broke in and entered into their house you know there'll be like a little girl and she's like i have no idea who the four of you are what are you doing in my house this is my bedroom what is wrong with you like just things like that and you know and and then one of your characters would be like well usually this goes along better you know usually people don't mind us breaking and entering and asking them questions it's like does the world really evolve uh, revolve around you what's your problem um so so just things like that you know the fact that you very rarely actually see bathrooms because Every character learns bladder control at level zero, apparently, you know, th 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 just things like that. Um, obviously, you know, Walker talked about, you know, actually eating and having food. Um, but there are a lot of things you just take for granted because, you know, it, it'd be a waste of time uh, or things like that. But um, yeah, pointing out a lot of those uh, cliches and the tropes and the things you take for granted in the games over and over and over again. I, I, I try to shine a light on as many of them as possible in as, in as humorous a, a fashion as possible. Um, I also have to make sure that I don't, I don't fall into the trap of making fun of them while still using them. So, so th that that's something that sort of self awareness. I guess it'd be like a meta self awareness because I'm making a lot of the NPCs self aware too and things like that. But I also want to make sure as the developer, I'm not just poking fun at a silly JRPG trope and saying "ha, huh, that's stupid" and then actually doing it unironically. So. I, I need to make sure I walk that line too, because there are a ton of really, really good RPG cliches. Uh, I mean, they wouldn't be used in every game <laughs> if they were crap. So, uh, you know, um, so so these are things I want to make sure I'm balancing too. Um, we're literally the heroes of the universe, and you're stalling for time because we're in your house trying to find the swamp cave. Like, right. come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, so I've got to make sure that those things are useful. So, like, I've talked a little bit about how silly it is for these, these fake restrictions, you know, someone's blocking the house so you can't go in or someone's blocking the cave so you can't go in even though you're supposed to have freedom. And so there might be a few of those, but on some occasions it might be like you call out someone for standing in front of, of the house and then they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And they actually just move. And it's just like, so other things too that, you know, 
might you know make you think that this is going to be another normal trope of oh I can't go here, but you actually interact with the individual or something else happens and you you totally have actual freedom in those cases too. So I need to make sure that when I'm calling out the tropes, it's not just for a cheap laugh and then I actually just use the thing anyway. I want to make sure that I, I find innovative ways around it to be like, hey, look, we can still make a good game even without just kind of copying, pasting, you know, these hundred rules that every RPG abides by. So with this gamer, are you making, are you responsible for every aspect of it, like art, music, animation, all of it? So I'm not working with anyone else, but the nice thing about RPG Maker MV is, well, really all the RPG Maker game engines, I think, um, there's a lot of, there's a really cool community, um, uh, a really great forum, a, a whole bunch of really good, indiv uh, really useful individuals who who have a ton of assets, who have a ton of um, music and and sprites and things like that, which are really really useful. A lot of it comes with the game, um, and a lot of it you can either you know get for free or you know pay a little bit of money. And you know the artists and things like that, uh, artists who are totally fine with you know just give me a shout out in the credits. Um, there, are, I'm creating everything from the ground up in terms of. The story and setting up um, all of the all of the fights and all of the battles and um, and all of the skills and all of those things too. Um, but the fact that there are tons of plugins already created, there are some animations that are already there, some animations I'm creating. Um, there's a really nice foundation of useful information and assets for me to tinker with and customize if I need to, and I definitely have needed to a lot. Um, so. Yes and no. Like I'm the only person formally, for yeah, formally working on on this game. Um, but I've gotten help in terms of asking people stupid questions. You know, people who are much better informed about this game engine, about game development in general, than I am. In terms of you know making music, asking them questions about this. In terms of you know making different art and 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 monsters and things like that. So um, I. It would be super selfish and not accurate to say I'm doing this on my on my own because I'm learning from hundreds and hundreds of and hundreds of people who are more than happy to share their experiences and and give me some pointers and say like, hey, play my demo well, play play this little bit of game and I'll play yours and I'll give you some feedback and have you thought about this? So the conversations I've had with everyone has been super, super helpful. Yeah, that's really cool. It and that it's definitely very humble of you to um to, to look at it that way. Um, I definitely was kind of curious if, if you had like an animator that was directly collaborating. So, and you answered the question clearly. Um, but, but that's, it's a, a fair sentiment that, you know, it's <laughs> on the shoulders of giants kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and coding is probably the answer. So I'm probably answering the question for you right away, but, but what is the biggest challenge that you've encountered in, in making a game? Yeah, coding. Um, <laughs> that's part of it. Um, well, well, that's part of it. I mean, yeah. So, so there, are, there are a lot of different limitations. I know that um, all the plugins and kind of the the fundamentals of uh, RPG Maker MV uses JavaScript, and I know no JavaScript. But from talking to different people, I, I've learned how to you know customize a few lines of the different plugins to make you know to kind of tweak the numbers exactly what I need them to be. So uh, I'm able to get to get by just fine. Um, the lack of computer programming is probably the biggest, um, probably the biggest, uh, challenge I have. Um, and I think in general comparing, you know, my skill set to someone who has, uh, a lot of expertise in one specific thing, whether it's developing the music, whether it's, you know, creating the art, like I don't have a ton, a ton of art programs. Like I've got like 
GIMP, G-I-M-P, I think that's what it's called. I've got paint. And like sometimes, you know, when I need to make monsters or adjustments to monsters, like I'm going pixel by pixel by pixel by pixel. And it takes a long time. And I'm sure there's someone else who's like, oh, you know, it's just press this button. And like I'm, I'm YouTubing the heck out of figuring out what those singular buttons are that, you know, create the the transparent backgrounds and things like that. And, and I'm learning just, you know, oh, if you just use this selection tool on this, like it saves you like 20 minutes per monster. And it's like, I'm just taking notes. I've got tons of spreadsheets and, and Word documents with just tons of information. That way I don't forget them when I learn really useful things from people who know way more than I do. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's just, uh, I mean, it's the challenge of also making sure that it's it's a game that I'm really, really proud of and really happy of. Because, you know, one of the reasons why I'm working alone um, isn't particularly a, a pride thing, but it's I want to make sure that I can make the game exactly how I want to make it. Um, you know, that's my decision to not really work with anyone else in depth, to not have a publisher or anything like that. Um, I want to make sure that once it's all done, which will it should be by the end of 2022, so about a little bit over a year from now, um, that when it's done, that I can be super happy that it's, it's the game that I wanted to create and and I would be willing to play and, and things like that too. Um, and yeah, and it's... I also appreciate the learning process. Like I, I'm an, I'm an educator. I, I teach high school math. That is my primary job. I do a lot of tutoring. And God stuff bless too. you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, and so it's, you know, as an educator, like you never stop being educated. Like I will forever be a student also. And so the, the creative processes, you know, when I, when I'm teaching my students, when I'm giving them problem solving situations, when I'm forcing them to critically think and, and, you know, having them tinker with different ideas and analyze and decision make, you know, these are what I do as a gamer anyway. And these are also what I do as a game developer, kind of two sides of the same coin where it's all right, as a gamer, I've got to figure out how I want to approach these puzzles and things like that. But also as a game developer, I've got a whole bunch of challenges of my own. And I also need to make sure that I can, I guess, predict the different ways that these I almost said students, that the players are going to be approaching the game also. Like, hey, I'm making the puzzle. I know how to solve it. But, you know, are there multiple ways you can solve it? You know, it, that's always the best kind of problem-solving techniques too. So um, I'm appreciating all of the different challenges that I'm getting anyway, whether it's, all right, I don't know how to make this dungeon balanced. You know, I want to make sure that the story flows nicely. Whatever the challenge is, um, I don't know how to program. Let me figure out ways around that. Um, these are all challenges that I'm, that I find to be interested in um, as a creative outlet, as a passion project, things like that. So I don't mind having to, to figure out ways to overcome or go around these sorts of kind of constraints that I naturally have as someone who isn't good at literally everything. So, yeah. <laughs> well, so that's, God, that's, I, I, I love that you bring that up because I think that as somebody, like I said, I've, I've messed around with game maker. Some it is, it is incredible. I can, I can read a little bit of code and I understand Excel, but arrays always, I can't visualize them. And mm -hmm. so it just, they wreck me. But I, I think that being an educator and kind of a, a student all of the time is, is a really necessary skill to, to, to bring out something like this. And I think that, you know, we, we talk a lot on the show about why gaming matters. It's our tagline. And whether it is in educating yourself or your lifelong history with games, uh, playing with family and friends or the community of other makers online, when you hear the phrase, uh, why does gaming matter to you, what comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the big three would be first and foremost, you know, 
you know, uh, just kind of building the familial bond that we talked about before in terms of, you know, building up that relationship with my brothers, with my mom. It was a great way to bond, whether we were actually playing the game or just talking about the games whenever we couldn't be playing the games, going off on vacations or stuff like that. So um, gaming matters for relationships, first of all, at least for me, um, playing with friends, bonding through friends, um, whether it's playing games with friends you already have or befriending people through the online communities or things like that. So that's always been like one of the big three things. Uh, the second, in no particular order, the second would be from my personal enjoyment and entertainment. Um, I like getting really good at a game. I like, well, that's on a relative scale, right? So like, you know, you could be really good at Super Smash Brothers in your circle of friends, but then you play against people who actually know how to play the game and you're like, oh, I'm trash at the game or StarCraft or any game with, that's got a competitive esports scene or something like that, right? Um, but also I just like getting lost in the stories of the adventure games, of the role-playing games. Um, I, I like the games that uh, I can practice over and over again and get really good in terms of having, uh, I guess, kind of crisp movement. So, like, I really like platformer games, you know, from the N64, Collectathon era besides Super Mario 64. I'm a big Banjo-Kazooie guy, Banjo-Tooie, Donkey Kong 64, all of those. Um, and just watching like, the speedrunners play and just being like, well, all right, fine. I can't do that. But like, I think I could improve in certain areas, you know, like, let me see if I could beat the game faster. Let me see if I could, you know, get that move a little bit more reliably, things like that too. So just from for my own personal enjoyment and just practice and entertainment. And then the third would be that ed educational aspect with the, the, you know, it improves your critical, critical thinking, your dexterity, um, your ability to make decisions, to analyze the decisions, uh, to be okay with making wrong decisions. Cause that's a big part of problem solving. You know, as a teacher, um, it's one of the most important things is to find a way to persuade students to be okay with taking risks and making mistakes. And that's part of the learning process. So, And then how do students react when they hit a wall, when they make a mistake? Do they try to find another route? Do they ask you know, a, a, a classmate for help? Do they ask me for help? Do they kind of sit back quietly and wait for me to explain the answer? Like there's a lot of different paths you can take. And so this this kind of like, productive struggle, the ability to productively struggle through problems, whether it's in a classroom or in a game, is something I think is really, really crucial too. And then there's the creativity aspect also, where if you have a lot of freedom, you know, whether it's optimizing a build or deciding the order in which the dungeons, you know, the completion of dungeons are, um, I think those are things that that a lot of good games uh, reinforce too, puzzle games and things like that. So yeah, uh, those are my three plus answers, I guess. I, I I can't I can't give you just one though. Yeah, no, that's awesome, dude. That's a, that's a super super awesome answer. I, I would say probably the most common sentiment we hear from people because we ask every guest that that question, and we've interviewed pro gamers and esports team owners and other developers, and and the most common answer we get is probably relationships, uh, which is true for us as well, I think. Um, but I would also agree with exactly the other answers you gave, and and I think about. I think about how much gaming has impacted my own approach to problem solving, right? Because when I play a game, I'm constantly like trying to figure out like, well, let me press up against this wall and does it break? And you know what I mean? And I think that translates into other areas. Not that I'm <laughs> some master of solving all my problems or something, but. Well, you are putting <laughs> bombs down in front of every crack in front of every wall in the real world. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, what if there's gold behind? Absolutely. <laughs> How else am I going to get more bombs? Right, <laughs> yeah. I love rupees. Um, 
But anyway, well, well, this has been an awesome conversation, Chris, um, and I'm I'm really excited to see uh, Mango Mischief as it comes out. Again, the website is mangomischief.com. Is there anywhere else though that you'd like to to direct people to uh, to follow you? Uh, I have a Twitter, which is also at Mango Mischief. The Instagram is technically Mango Mischief Video Game, um, but everything can be found through the website, uh, mangomischief.com, like you said. Um, don't think it'll be relevant. I've got a Kickstarter campaign for one more day, um, but you know we uh, we we hit the uh, we hit our tiers and stuff, and, and we're good. We hit our goals. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think um, I think Twitter and Instagram, as well as checking up from time to time on the website, would be the best way to follow. I'm, I'm always updating things. Uh, especially on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, it'll be on Steam and some other uh, online uh, stores and things like that uh, sooner rather than later in terms of adding to your wish list and things like that. Um, so hopefully within, fingers crossed, hopefully within a few weeks, I can start getting those things set up. Um, but I still have a long way to go to, to kind of perfecting the game in, in well, perfecting by, by my standards and a lot of play testing, both from me and from people who don't know the entire game. So, you know, get, getting new people to play test is always is always useful because they don't know exactly where to go and, and what to do and they'll approach the game differently. So yeah, so Twitter, Instagram, the website, and then soon on Steam and other online stores. Awesome. Well, again, Chris, we really appreciate your time. It's been a blast. Thanks so much for stopping by. All right. Thanks, Walker. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. So that's all for our episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi.com slash P-U-Y-S-Pod, or just tell a friend about us because word of mouth really makes a difference. All of the links and our social accounts are available down in the show notes, and if you want to hear more content from either of us, Walker hosts The Walk Show, which talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests, as well as the Crowfall podcast, which shares stories and perspectives about the MMO. And my personal podcast, Dungeons and Dinners, is where the love of fantasy is food for thought. 